I don't know if you notice over here, but we have some people that are seated here patiently and quietly right now. They're not in character, but they will soon be in character because we're doing an illustrated sermon today. So we have, is it Aurora? No? Bianca. I'm sorry, Bianca. I, those are pretty names, either one of them, but we'll call you Bianca because that's what your parents named you. Bianca, thank you for being here. And then also Ken and Susan Cooper. And then Nisi. Hi, Nisi. She wants to eat what's on her plate, so I think we better hurry up here. Okay. Now, each of you have a communion cup, correct? And at home, if you're watching this, I want you to get some juice. It can be tea. It can be soda pop. It really doesn't matter if you don't have any juice. Just find something that you can concentrate and set aside. And if you don't have a wafer, get a, a cracker or a piece of bread, something like that. And please set it aside as well, because I want you to join us in what we're going to be doing here today, because... We're going to be receiving communion, but in a way that you've probably never received communion before. So I know I've heard some of you peeling back the paper. Don't do it yet because we're not using this. I just want to make sure if you don't have one of these, that you raise your hand because Shane and Cindy will be glad to make sure you get one. If you don't have one of these, please raise your hand right now and we'll make sure everybody has one. And if you're at home, I know you're raising your hand now. We're not coming to your house to give you this. Again, get a cracker and some juice and have it set aside, and we're going to receive communion today in a different way. Now, the first Sunday that we started this was back a few weeks ago. We did the Feast of Tabernacles. How many enjoyed that Sunday night Feast of Tabernacles? Wasn't that fantastic? Uh, and so that morning, if you remember, I preached on the, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles and explained to you the significance of it and how it relates to where we are today. These, there's seven feasts that God initiated, that God appointed. These are not feasts that man is doing uh, that started, uh, started and said, God, come on in. It's actually feasts that God established that he's inviting us to join in with him. And that's all the difference in the world. So he's the host and we're the guests. And so the first feast that we celebrated back a few weeks ago was actually the seventh Feast, and the reason that I did that is just because I wanted to under, uh, I want us to understand the significance that morning of what we were getting ready to do that night. And so now, this was going to be preached a couple of weeks ago. We're going to come back now to the first of the seven feasts, and this is the feast of Passover. Now, as I said a few weeks ago, we celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles together. It was a certainly wonderful experience. And we learned that Sunday morning uh, of the symbols and the shadows and the types of tabernacles as it relates to Jesus. Now, I want to remind you that all Scripture, all Scripture, I want you to say, say, say these words with me. Say, all Scripture points us to Jesus. Every time you open up God's Word, there's something in there, no matter New Testament, everything will point you to Jesus if you ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And I, I, I said that a few weeks ago, and I hope, that you've, I hope that's given you a different vantage point from God's Word as you do revolve yourself and engage yourself in God's Word. But uh, the seven Jewish feasts are no different. They're found in God's Word. You can read it in, in, in the book of Leviticus. But as we continue our series on the feasts, we're going to start at the beginning, and we're going to look at the Passover today. It's the first of the seven yearly feasts. So these seven feasts took place every year at certain appointed times that God uh, has appointed us. Now, you've heard it said that a picture is worth a thousand words. 
And so today, there's some things that we're going to be able to grasp, I trust, more in a visual aid than it would be for me to just talk. So if you're not able to see, feel free to move over here because there's going to be some things that are going to be happening over here that as I'm describing them, they're going to be acting them out. Now, when God taught his covenant people, the Jews, he used visual aids. You have to understand that for those 400, over 400 years that they were enslaved in Egypt, uh, there was very few privileges that the Jewish people were allowed to have, and there, was, there wasn't a lot of reading and writing that took place. They were too busy being slaves and taking care of the work that was required of them of the Egyptians. And it's likely that the only one who could read and write was Moses, who had been, and the reason he could do it, because he was educated uh, in the home of Pharaoh. Now, eventually, the Jews become one of the most educated people on the earth. They're brilliant people today, and they were brilliant back then. Uh, but th for hundreds of years during that time, they learned about God through visual aids. It was an oral presentation. And that's what we're going to be seeing here today as they were, are going to be depicting this, depicting this. Now, the Bible makes it clear that these were to be shadows of a reality that was yet to come. Now, the time would come when they would put away these symbols and these, these sort of things that we're going to be watching here today, and they would enter into the spiritual reality of the feasts that were being portrayed. Now, the transition from the shadow to reality was provided through the person of Jesus Christ. So today, we're living in the reality of these feasts. And I know growing up in church, and I grew up every Sunday, I was in church. Every time the doors were open, we were there. I don't remember ever hearing about the feasts being preached. And I think the reason why is because there was, a, an, uh, there was an understanding, there was a, an evolving of understanding of God's word through the years. And in fact, if you read the book of Daniel, God even said, put this away because it's for later on. If you remember, there's some things that God showed Daniel. He said, just put this away. It's for later on. And I think that the reason that you're hearing more and more about the feasts and more and more about the significance of what they're all about and the reason that we celebrate it here every year, the Feast of Tabernacles, is because of the significance of the light that is kind of going off in Christian heads to say, wait a minute, this is not just a Jewish thing. And this is not just a 5,000-year-old thing that started back when Moses was around. And they kind of do it now as a tradition. It actually has a significance in Christ, in where we are today as believers in Christ. And that's why I want to bring these feasts to the reality of where we are today as Christians. And not just look at this as a Jewish a festival or a Jewish uh, interaction with God these seven different times. It's actually very significant to us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says this. It says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival. He's referring to, by the way, the festivals, the seven feasts. Don't let anyone regard you uh, regarding religious feasts to judge you, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in who? Christ. So these seven feasts, Paul was talking to the Colossians, writing this letter saying, all these feasts that we've been doing for thousands of years, that you've been doing faithfully in your lifetime, the reality is it's not shadows anymore. It's not types anymore. Jesus is actually fulfilling these feasts. These seven feasts. If the reality is coming in Christ. I'm, I, can't, I can't tell you how excited I am to share this message here today. So I'm going to try to rein in my enthusiasm and not talk so fast.
but I just can't wait for you guys to to grab this and, and it be like, oh, God, thank you so much for how awesome you are and how you do so many wonderful things in God's Word for us, and it parallels with Christ in so many different ways. So, by the way, prophetic scriptures throughout the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, were hard to understand when they were written, and they seemed impossible that they would come to pass. But as the centuries have unfolded, one by one, slowly but surely, prophecies written thousands of years ago are happening just as the Bible said it would, affirming to us as believers that the Bible is true. That book that you're holding in your hand is an inspired words of God and that can be counted on and that God is real, and that God is still in control, and all that's going on in the world today, that God is fully aware, and He's fully in charge of everything that is happening. Aren't you thankful for that? If you are, let me hear you say, praise the Lord. Now, the prophet Daniel saw many unusual things in a vision that God gave him, as I said a moment ago. He didn't understand them, but he wasn't meant to understand them. It was for a time of the end. Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 9 says, Although I heard, I didn't understand. And then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And I'm here to tell you today that those words that he wrote and that were supposed to be sealed until the end times, we are in those times today. We are in those times that Daniel saw that vision. They're starting to come to pass now. The eyes of the, uh, of the church is opening up. The Lord is revealing uh, these things to say, now is the time. These things that I showed Daniel thousands of years ago, today is the day. And those of us who are spiritually wise will discern that we are in those last days, in those days of Daniel. The wicked will continue in their wicked ways as we see. But the wise will discern and will turn to God and make themselves ready for the return of Christ. I, I ask you today, are you foolish or are you wise? Are you a wicked person? Are, are you a righteous person? Are you seeing what's going on here today in the world and realizing, wait a minute, this is different. There's something happening here that hasn't been <clears throat> like it's always been. It's time to wake up. If you're watching here today, if you're listening here today, it's time to wake up. This is not business as usual. Be wise. Be discerning. <clears throat> because we're in the days of Daniel. We're in the days just before the return of Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, the visual aids given in the Old Testament are still valuable to us today. And we're able to now examine these things in 2020 hindsight we not only see clear portrayals of Christ, but we can also be helped to learn the significant truths about our Savior. Now, we saw a few weeks ago tabernacles, the visual aid that Sunday night, the booth, the water, the lights. You remember all those? All those were visually pointing us to the reality of Jesus Christ and His continuing work in our lives. These seven feasts provide for us a facet of Jesus for us to appreciate and be thankful for. Jesus is the water that will never run dry. Jesus is the light that is in the darkness. All of those things are pointing to Christ. Amen? Again, looking at Leviticus 23, you can read it later. There's a list of seven feasts of Israel, and they are centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this chapter, you're going to find the phrase, unto the Lord several times. See, Jesus is at the center of all of these feasts. These feasts are unto the Lord. So, 
Let's begin our illustrated sermon this morning. For 430 years, the Israelites were held as slaves in Egypt. They eventually cried out to God, and God sent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. But Pharaoh wanted to keep the Israelites enslaved, and so God sent a series of ten judgments against Egypt, and it culminated with the death of every firstborn male child. As a result, Pharaoh let the Israelites go and then changed his mind and pursued them with his armies into the Red Sea, where God destroyed the Egyptians. You can read all about this in the book of Exodus. It's a powerful story of God's deliverance. And we can go into all sorts of directions at this point. But I want us to focus right now on how, this morning, how, uh, on how they escaped the judgment, having the death angel pass over them, having the death angel not take their firstborn male child because that's what the Passover is all about. Exodus chapter 12, there's a story. And God gave the steps to be taken so that they wouldn't be struck by that final plague of the firstborn male children being killed. Listen to this. They were to select a year-old male lamb without flaw or defect from their flock. And they would take this lamb on the 10th of the month, in the month called Nisan, N-I-S-A-N. It'll be like our month of October or whatever. That's how they named their month, the month of Nisan, on the 10th day. And they would keep that lamb until the 14th day. So there's four days that they took that lamb and brought it into their home. Imagine if you have a pet. In four days, how endeared you would become to that pet. And it didn't take long at all for you to fall in love with your little precious dog or cat or whatever animal you have. So this sweet little lamb. And you know how sweet little lambs are. And here's the mom and the dad and the son and the daughter and whoever else is in the home. And they're petting the lamb. They're loving on the lamb. They're holding the lamb. Maybe the lamb's sleeping with them. Different things that are just what a pet would do. But then, by the way, I believe that this was to allow time for the family to grow attached to the lamb. So that when it was killed, it wasn't just a lamb, but it was their lamb. And this made the sacrifice very personal. So then on the 14th, the lambs that were taken into each home were killed. And you know how probably difficult that was. And the blood was applied to the entrances of each home. I'm sure there were tears. My little lamb, and now this. But because the blood was applied to the entrances of, to the entrances of each home, God then recognized the blood, and by that blood it made it possible for God's judgment to pass over them. And that's why it's called the Passover. Any and all of the firstborn male children that were inside each home covered by the blood of the spotless sacrificial lamb were spared death that night. So God instituted the Passover as a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 12, 14 said, this is a day that you're to commemorate. This do in remembrance of me. Listen to the connection. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. You see, what we do in communion and what Jesus actually said was, do this in remembrance of me. 
So that's the New Testament version. The Old Testament version is you are to commemorate this day and for generations to come to celebrate it as a lasting ordinance, as a festival unto the Lord, as a, as a, as a holy convocation. That's what we do in communion, isn't it? You see the connection? It's a direct connection. So here's the practical significance of this feast. The Passover involved a lamb. It involved some unleavened bread. And unleavened bread is simply bread without yeast. I'm sorry, it didn't have a Texas Roadhouse yeast rolls thing going on there. It's just, if you've ever had unleavened bread, it is just flat and it's just like a cracker. It's just, there's nothing to it. But it was unleavened bread. It also involved four cups of juice, some hand washing, some bitter herbs, and there would be some questions, uh, answering us some questions so that the Exodus story could be passed from one generation to the next. Several centuries before Christ, a traditional Passover service emerged. It was called the Seder, S-E-D-E-R, Seder. It's there on the board, on the screen, I should say. And that word Seder, from the Hebrew word, it means order. So there was an order to it. It wasn't haphazard. There was definitely an order to this. It prescribes the order of the scripture readings, the prayers, the symbolic foods, and the songs. And that Seder is still observed today. And this is the order. As you'll observe, the first cup, the first, there's four cups as you see on that table. And there's, so there's four different cups that are going to be used here today. The four, the four cups of juice were used to reflect the fourfold joy of redemption, which we will go over today. Now the head of the home would then pour the first cup and recite what is known as the Kiddush. K-I-D-D-U-S-H, the Kadush. And the Kadush is a prayer of sanctification. And as he's praying this prayer of sanctification, the family would honor it, observe it, be reverent in that moment. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus, when he was in the upper room, the night before he was crucified, was actually doing a Seder meal. He was doing a Seder Passover commemoration. He was, that's what was happening that night. When Jesus was in the upper room and he was breaking bread and passing the juice around at that last supper, that's what this was, was the last Seder that Jesus was actually leading. He was the leader of his disciples and Jesus that night said the Kadush. Luke chapter 22 verse 17 says, then he took the cup and he gave thanks. You've heard that before, right? What he was doing is he was saying the Kadush. He took the cup, the first cup, and he prayed the prayer of sanctification. Now, once he did that and laid it aside, and, and certainly passed the drink around, but he, he laid it that aside, then there was a first hand washing. Now, there was a pitcher, like a bowl of water that was there at the table, and then towels were given to each person. And each of those would wash their hands as a symbolic act of purification. Now, it's probably right here in John chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, that Jesus says that Jesus did this very thing. Jesus got up from the meal, he took his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So we understand more significantly why he was doing what he was doing that night. It was the first washing. It was the washing of an act of purification for his disciples. 
This demonstrated that he was to become the suffering servant because he humbled himself and he washed the disciples' feet. Imagine the Savior of the whole world stooped himself to a lowly position and washed the disciples' feet. And that suffering servant, Jesus Christ, would be the one that would be providing for our cleansing of our sins. Aren't you thankful today that our suffering servant has washed us clean of all of our sins? Let me hear you say amen. Isaiah 53.3 says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, and like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. He acted that very thing out that night when he washed his disciples' feet. The next thing that happened in the, in the Seder, but that also actually Jesus did, in, uh, in the upper room at the Last Supper is what they did is called the dipping of the carpas, which are green vegetables. Now, usually a piece of lettuce or parsley is what that included, and it's a reminder of the hyssop with which the doorposts were smeared with the blood of the Passover lamb. That vegetable, that green leafy vegetable, was dipped into a bowl of salt water, and then, and then it was... And then it was symbolically uh, shown that the doorposts were smeared with the blood of the Passover lamb. And this was simply a reminder to the family of the tears that were shed in Egypt and of the deliverance through the Red Sea. After the dipping of the carpus, there was the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread consisted of this. There were three pieces of unleavened bread on the table. And the leader would take those three pieces and unfold uh, uh, unfold it from the linen napkin that it was in. And the leader would remove the middle one of the three. And he would take it and he would break it in half. And when he broke it in half, the half that, uh, th th there's one half that is put back in with the other two pieces. And it's wrapped in a linen napkin and set aside. But the other half that's broken off is wrapped in a linen napkin and it's hidden away while the children covered their eyes. They weren't supposed to see where that piece was hidden. And as soon as that piece was hidden, then the children would uncover their eyes, and the youngest in the family would recite four questions that, that she would have memorized as part of, her, of their tradition. And here she would stand up, to the family, and here are the four questions that she would ask. She would say, on all other nights, we eat either leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night, only unleavened bread? Then she would ask the second question. On all other nights, we eat all kinds of herbs. Why on this night, only bitter herbs? Then she would ask the third question. On all other nights, we need not dip our herbs even once. But why on this night must we dip them twice? And finally, she would ask the fourth question. On all other nights, we eat either sitting up or reclining. But why on this night do we all recline? You see, oftentimes they reclined on the leader. And so as you know what's going on in this Seder uh, uh, meal that's taking place with, in, inside these homes, you also see how Jesus 
was doing what he was doing in the upper room that night because, you see, if you remember, John, the disciple, reclined on Jesus at the Passover. Do you remember that? And John was actually the youngest of all the disciples. Did you know that? In John chapter 13, verse 23, it says, One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. That's John. He was writing about himself. You see, John sat to the right of Jesus, and he was the youngest of the disciples, so John is the one that asked those questions that night. He knew exactly what was going on because he grew up as a Jew, and so he knew in that room, he, he, drew, the, he drew the straw. He was the youngest one, so he recited those questions. So after he recited those questions, then the second cup was presented with the leader, and this, this second cup is actually the first part of the Hallel. And the Hallel is the Psalms from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. If you read Psalm 113 through 118, you're reading what the Jews recite every year in the Passover in the Seder meal. And in fact, before we leave here today, we all are going to recite all of those scriptures as part of our communion. But the first part of the Hallel, and how does that word sound? Hallel, does that sound somewhat familiar? Hallelujah. 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 That word has made it from the Hebrew to our, to our vernacular, and we actually even sang it this morning in one of our songs. Hallelujah means all praise to Yahweh, all praise to God. So when we say hallelujah, we're saying praise God. That's what that word means. You know that. But that's what this is going on here in the, in the Seder meal is the, the first part of the Hallel. And so they read Psalm 113 and Psalm, War, Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 114, and they were sung, and they're simply Jewish prayers of praise and thanksgiving. And then the second cup is, is, is provided to the family, and in response to the four questions, the leader recites the history of Israel up through the great deliverance commemorated by the Passover. Now, this is very significant, too. As the story unfolds, <clears throat> the symbolic elements are explained, and while the story is being told, the leader then dips his finger into the, into the juice, and he lets it drop from his finger. All ten times he dips it in once, lets it drip, dips it in twice, lets it drip, and every time he dips his finger into the cup, he's mentioning a plague that took place right before God rescued them out of slavery. And it's symbolizing the suffering of the Egyptians under each plague. And so it was an oral history. This is what God did. This is his faithfulness. This is his goodness. This is what God has done for us in years past, in centuries past, back when our, our, our ancestors were in captivity and slavery. This is how God rescued us. You know, this symbolizes the fact that God takes no pleasure in judging the wicked, by the way. Because you see, God sheds, sheds tears as he, as he judged the Egyptians, I believe. His heart was breaking. Can you imagine how Jesus felt at this point during the Seder meal when he did the same thing? With the drops of juice falling from his fingers, he knew that he was going to the cross the very next day to take the judgment of mankind upon himself for this very reason. I'm so thankful today. I'm so thankful today that we serve a God who doesn't take pleasure in judging us. 
I'm so thankful today that, that we serve a God who grieves, who, who, who weeps. His heart breaks. Why? Why does God's heart break? Why does he grieve? It's because he loves you and me so completely. No matter what we've done, <clears throat> no matter the repercussions of our actions, God still loves. <clears throat> God forgives. And God provides a path of forgiveness and redemption through Jesus Christ. If you're thankful for that, let me hear you say, praise the Lord. Now, the cup, that second cup, is then drunk. And this cup is called the cup of Haggadah, which means the cup of explaining. So that cup of Haggadah, that cup of explaining, is also known as the cup of plagues. And then after that is the sop, S-O-P, the sop. It's in preparation for the meal that the hands are washed now a second time. And then once the hands are washed, because <clears throat> they are really wanting to be clean during this meal. Go ahead, wash them hands and I'm going to cough a little bit. <clears throat> then the remaining unleavened bread and the remainder of the one that was previously broken off in half are broken into pieces. And they're distributed to everyone. So it was here in John chapter 13, verses 21 through 27, that Jesus foretold that one of the disciples would betray him. You can write those verses down and looking at them later, but let me give you a quick synopsis of it. If you remember, Peter motioned to John, who was reclining against Jesus, and he said, hey, ask Jesus what he meant by that. And Jesus said it would be the one to whom he dipped or sopped the piece of matzah. And then so Jesus then dipped the matzah, the bread, and he gave it to who? Judas, didn't he? You see, the Seder meal that was going on, he was unfolding the gospel. He was revealing himself through this. He was transitioning from the old into what we are doing today. So after that happened, <clears throat> there was the meal. Dinner was served. It, it, it usually consisted of roasted lamb in Jesus' day. It had some bitter herbs and some unleavened bread. And all of the things in the meal were reminders of what God did in the first Passover. So they enjoyed a nice meal together. And that took place that night at the Seder. Jesus actually did more than just a piece of bread and a glass of juice. They were eating vegetables and they were eating meat. And there was actually a meal. That's why, again, it's called the last what? Supper. They were enjoying a meal together. They were at a table. They were feasting together. <clears throat> so after the meal, there was what they called the afikomen. And I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but it's, I'm saying it the way that it's spelled. Afikomen. A-F-I-K-O-M-E-N. And that simply means the coming one. Now listen to this. After the meal, there's going to be this third and final hand washing. So they ate with their fingers. They had to get themselves cleaned up. And so there was this last cleansing of the hands. And then they would dry their hands off. And after they did that, <clears throat> the children were then sent out to find the broken half matzah that was wrapped in linen and had been hidden. So they looked around the house from the oldest to the youngest. And they were going to find that peace that was hidden by the Father. 
And once that peace was found, there was celebration. And that peace was brought back to the Father. And when that peace was returned and given back to the Father, the one who found it got a reward, got a prize, a toy, something that would say, well done. And then after the prize was given, <clears throat> the leader of the house would then bless that affacomant, and he would take that piece and break it off, and each of the family members, one by one, would eat that piece that was broken off and then found as a reminder of the Passover lamb. And this would be the moment when Jesus said in Matthew 26, 26, take and eat, this is my body. After that piece was eaten, then the third cup would be taken. And after another prayer over this cup, everyone would then drink from this cup, and it was called the cup of redemption. And this would have been when Jesus said in Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Thank God. And then once that cup was shared, the fourth cup was taken. It was a moment of celebration. It was the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise. It would be the cup to which Jesus referred to when he said in Matthew 26, 29, he says, I tell you, I'm not going to drink from this cup, from the fruit of this vine, from this fourth cup. From now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There were four cups there. Not just one. And he drank from that fourth cup and said, this is the last time I'm going to do it until I see you again. And we're going to all drink it together with a hallelujah of praise to the Lord. Which tells you why at the end of this Seder meal that they did a final song. They were celebrating at this point. They were rejoicing because the Passover ended with the singing of the rest of the Hallel. Psalm 115, 116, 117, and 118. And if you remember in the story of the, of the Passover, the Last Supper, this is the hymn that was mentioned in Matthew 26, 30, when Jesus said, I'm not going to take this cup until I see you again. Then when they had sung a hymn, you wonder what song they sang? It wasn't, you know, Amazing Grace. It was Psalm 115, Psalm 116, Psalm 117, Psalm 118. It was the psalm hymns. It was the, the halal that was going on. And so when they had sung that hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And we know kind of the rest of the story from there. Does that help you to understand the significance of what Jesus was doing that night a little bit more in the upper room? See, we kind of just fly through our communion many times, don't we? And we just kind of read these scriptures off and we, did, we don't really connect it with what Jesus was actually doing. He was doing the Seder meal with his disciples. They knew exactly what was going on. But he was transitioning from what was going on then, that tradition, the Jewish Seder, to he was fulfilling that feast that night in their presence. And it was documented for us to read and understand.
You see, the prophetic significance of this feast cannot be understated. <clears throat> I think the most prophetic significance for us is as it relates to that afikoman, that, that piece of bread that was hidden that the child found and got a prize for it. It means, afikoman, remember, it means the coming one, right? Now, this was before Jesus was ever born, before he ever showed up on the scene. That's what they called this piece of bread, the coming one, because they were expecting their Messiah, and this is a clear reference to the Messiah. It's a clear reference to Jesus Christ. So why are there three pieces of matzah? It's because of the three members of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, if you rem remember that middle piece, God the Father, God the Son is the middle piece, was broken into two pieces. And if you understand what's going on there, the one piece that was included back in with the first and the third piece represented still the deity of Christ. He still remained in the Godhead, but the broken piece, it represented his deity that he laid aside and he took on flesh. You see? That half that remains represents the deity. The other half represents his humanity that he took on for us. And it also represents that God the Son left the glory and the perfection of heaven to take on flesh, only to be broken on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Thank God for what Christ has done for us. Amen. If you're happy and thankful, let me hear you say praise the Lord again. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 and 5 describes Jesus as our sacrificial lamb. This was hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene. But Isaiah gave him this vision, this prophetic utterance of describing Jesus. Surely he took on, uh, upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That's Jesus. And he's done that for you today. And he's done that for me today. Can you thank God one more time? Every pain, every sin, every hurt, every disease, every heartache, every burden, every wound, every brokenness, Jesus bore it upon himself for you and for me. Thank God for Jesus. And what a loving and complete gift from our Heavenly Father. So why is that one broken off part hidden and then brought back out? Well, you know. Because it symbolizes not only this, the burial of Jesus Christ, but it also symbolizes his resurrection. He, he's alive. He's not, hidden, he's not hidden in the ground somewhere. Our, Christ, our, our Lord and Savior is alive today. Jesus is alive. <coughs> That's why Jesus waited until this portion was brought out to say this. Jesus was prophetically declaring that within just a few days from that Passover, that this broken off, hidden piece of matzah was going to be him. No longer a piece of bread. It only symbolizes who Jesus is because Jesus is now that piece of bread. He is that broken off piece. We no longer <clears throat> jump through a lot of hoops. Jesus has finished the work for us. He, he, he was broken for our sins. He was hidden in that tomb, but then he was revealed again when he burst forth 
from the tomb in glorious, victorious life. We serve a risen Savior today. I also love how the one who found the broken, hidden piece gets a reward for finding it. What's the prophetic significance there? I'll tell you what. Those who find Jesus get a reward, don't we? It's called salvation. It's called forgiveness of sins. It's called eternal life and an eternity with Him in heaven. What a reward that we have from Christ. <clears throat> and it's not just one child who gets it. We all get it. The third of the four cups, that cup of redemption, symbolizes our Savior's blood that was shed for our redemption from sin. And today, as we observe this, we're going to receive communion together in this, in this most unusual way today. What's this personal significance that we can take from this feast today as we kind of start moving into a place of, of communion? And I'm going to have the musicians and singers remain where you are. I'm not going to need you up here quite yet because I want you to stay with your families and, and do this together with us, with, with your families, I should say. There's no way to state the over, overstate the obvious here of the personal significance that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Both occurred during the month of Nisan. Jesus showed up to Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan. Did you know that? It wasn't some other month. It wasn't some other day. He showed up on that very day, the 10th day of Nisan. And on the 14th, is when he was betrayed by Judas, just like the lamb was killed on that day. Both are young males, the firstborn. Both were without blemish. Jesus being the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God. By the way, therefore, Jesus is the only one who's qualified to present us to God the Father without spot or wrinkle. He's the only one. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can say. There's nobody you can be related to. You can work yourself silly trying to love God and serve God and do good stuff for him. But I tell you what, and that's all good and fine, but that's not going to get you saved. And Jesus is not going to present you before God when he say, well, they worked really hard. No. All, the, all this required is that you stand before Christ, uh, before God, the Father, and Jesus would present you to God the Father saying, this child of God is a child of God because he's covered, because she's covered by my blood. He or she put his faith in me and I present to you now this child because of my sinless sacrifice. I'm the spotless lamb. I'm the one who died in their stead and I vouch for them. I stand in their stead. I took their punishment upon myself and God says that's sufficient. It's enough. And he'll say, well done. Enter in. Enter in. Come on in. Come on in. Oh, I can't wait for that day. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus says, is one day going to be that he's going to present his bride, the church, to himself, which is God the Father, as a radiant church. Without stain. Without wrinkle. Or without any other blemish. But instead, holy and blameless. You're going to be presented to God one day holy and blameless, not for anything you've done except for putting your faith in Jesus and His finished work because He's the only one that is holy and He is the only one who is blameless. Let's thank God for Jesus one more time. You know, I think many of us 
have been saved far too long to understand the, the significance of what Jesus has done for us. I think we need to be more excited. I think we need to be more grateful. I think we need to be more like, God, you are so awesome. Because if you hadn't have given us your son, I'd be, a lost, I'd be as lost as a ball in high weeds. I, I, I have no hope in my life except for what you have done for me. Oh, God, give us, give us the, the, the genuine excitement and gratitude that we once had. And let it r roll up and bu bubble up inside of us again so that we can walk with complete gratitude and thanksgiving for what you've done for us. Amen? You see, only Jesus could do what he did. We certainly can't. Only Jesus is qualified to do what he did. We are not qualified. Jesus will one day present us to God the Father as a stain-free, wrinkle-free, blemish-free, holy, blameless, and radiant bride. And it's not for anything that we've done, but it's only because of what Christ has done for us. Only Jesus could do what we needed done for us, and so he did it. Aren't you thankful? Now, the bones of both of these sacrifices were both to remain unbroken, and, and, and so be it. Jesus didn't have a bone broken in his body, and both were offered in the place of another. That lamb was killed so that the firstborn could, could, could be rescued from the death angel. And the, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was killed and took our place so that we would not be punished for our sins, but that Jesus took on our punishment for us. Jesus took our place on that cross. The blood of both was applied across wooden beams. You see the blood of the lamb and the Passover over the doorpost. You see the blood of Jesus Christ that was stretched across and poured down the beams of the cross of Calvary. And the blood of both does supernatural work for those who believe, including you and me. And may we all place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ today as our Savior and as our Lord. So as we close today, our time together, we're not quite done. In fact, we still have a good little bit to go because we're going to have communion unlike a communion that you've ever had. And I want us to reflect on the deliverance that was brought about by the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, this Seder meal that Jesus uh, ex that we saw here and that Jesus uh, led his disciples in at the Last Supper, that we now have transitioned into communion where we observe it. And we've really simplified it. I, I don't we dumbed it down, but we've really simplified it and, and condensed it into something that is much less than what it really should be. But today, if, if, if we do it no other time in our lives, I want us to do it today and how they did it back then, minus a lot of the stuff that you see here. We are going to simplify it in just a little, in a few ways. But it's not just a Passover with the Jewish people. It's not just an observance that they did back then and they're doing now and that's what the Jews are doing. But it's also for us, as Christ is our sacrificial Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, we call this communion. We call this the Lord's Supper. Let's do what we're getting ready to do in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us Let's celebrate him, amen? amen? Let's celebrate our Passover lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. I want you to take the cup and go ahead and peel that first layer off and lay that wafer aside. Now I want you to take that second layer and I want you to go ahead and peel that back to reveal the juice. Now as you're holding this... <clears throat> 
we're going to rep make believe that we're holding four cups. This is going to have to last us four, four drinks, okay? Four partakings. So we're going to make it really easy. And I'm not going to try to have you guys portion this out. It's going to be pretty simple. But I want us to, I want us to do what they did back then. And that first cup, this first cup that we're holding here, represents the prayer of sanctification. Now, what does sanctification mean? Sanctification means being set apart. It means sanctification is a process of becoming like Christ. It's becoming holy. It's becoming righteous and pure and, and cleansed. When we get cleansed of our sins, initially, we're clean, right? We're covered by the blood. But God still needs to work on me. And he's been working on me for years. And there's still a lot that he needs to work on in me and out of me. How about you? Am I the only one here? See, that's the process of sanctification. That's where he teaches us. That's where he taps us on the shoulder and says, you might not want to think that way. You might not want to talk that way. You might not want to make that decision. You might not want to have that relationship. You might want to be more careful here. There's some wisdom in this if you'll just listen to me. And there's something in you that is not pleasing to me. There's something in you that is, that is making your witness diminish. There's something in you that needs to get worked out. And there's something that I want to work in in its place. That's what sanctification is. He's not scolding us. He's not mad at us. He's not angry at us. He loves us. And it's all done in love. Just parents, you know how it is, right? You want to see your, your children do well. And so when you scold them, when you punish them, when you correct them, it's not done out of anger, I hope. But it's done out of love because you want to see your child grow up and, and do well and, and, and be successful and, and be smart and live a wise life, all those things. Think, that's what God does for us. That's all. And so he says, okay, I'm going to put you in a situation here and see how, how it does. And sometimes we do good and sometimes we kind of mess up. He's like, okay, now I know where we are. Now, let's try this again. And how many knows he bring you through the second? He he bring you through the same thing again later on, won't he? Right. And in the, in the meantime, in those two different times, he's trying to help you. He's trying to teach you. He's trying to work in you some stuff. And so he'll let it happen again. And maybe you'll pass it. Check. Okay. Then we'll go to the next thing. And it's sanctification. It's growing to be more like Christ. So that ten years from now, your speech is more like Jesus. Your thinking is more like Jesus. Your goals are more are more uh, kingdom related. All those sort of things, right? And it's less of the flesh. It's less of us. That's what sanctification is. You get it? So he's working on all of us. And I, I don't care if you've been saved for 100 years. God's still trying to work something in you and out of you. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't, how, you can, I don't, I don't care of your credentials. It, it makes no difference. You can, you can try to impress me. It's not going to impress me. It's like I'm not going to impress you. We all are sinners saved by grace. And all of us need to be sanctified more today than we were yesterday. More like Jesus today than we were yesterday. So I want to pray a prayer of sanctification over you. As we saw in our illustration, as we saw what Jesus did, and it's what they do even today in the Seder, I'm going to pray a prayer of sanctification, which is really this. <clears throat> if you don't know Jesus today, if you're watching here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't have him in your heart, in other words. I mean, you know about him. You know who he is, but you've not accepted him into your heart as Lord and Savior. Now would be the time to do that. Before we move any further in what we're getting ready to do, do not partake on the rest of this if you don't pray this prayer of salvation, this prayer of sanctification today. Don't do it. Just set that cup aside. But if you'll pray this prayer of sanctification with me, a prayer of salvation, really, a prayer of forgiveness of my sins, 
And then all of us together pray a prayer of sanctification because we all have a journey that we're on. And mean it in your heart. Then we can move forward with the first cup. All right? Would you bow your heads in prayer? Lord, as I, as I lead, as the leader of this church, as I lead this congregation, as we saw the leader of the household lead his family in a prayer of sanctification, Lord, I lead this congregation in a prayer of sanctification. And I pray that everyone in this place would have a relationship with you. Those that are not saved, that they would simply say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come live in my heart and be the Lord of my life. Just like that. Forgive me of my sins. Come live in my heart and be the Lord of my life. Lord, as they pray that prayer, and just right now as they're praying it to you, Lord, you're cleansing them. You're washing them clean. And they're being saved. And they're now a new creation in you. But Lord, for all of us today, we all need to be sanctified. Ah, there's stuff in us that need to be worked out that is not pleasing to you. We've harbored it there for decades maybe. And today is the day that you want to expose it one more time and say, how about it? Let today be the day that you set it at the altar and then let me replace it with something that is of me. So Lord, we all pray this prayer of sanctification and I pray over this congregation that you would sanctify us. Lord, let every day be a day that is progressing to be more like you. Let every day that we live be a day that we're more like you and less like us. More like heaven and less like the world. More like what your word says and less like what the internet says we ought to be. Or our friends say we ought to be. Lord, sanctify us. We give you our minds. We give you our tongues. We give you our possessions. We give you our emotions, our abilities, our bodies. We give you our relationships. We give you everything about us. The complete package of this gift of who we are, we give it to you. Sanctify us today and make us more like you. May we not walk in resistance or rebellion, but in obedience and yielding to you, making us more like you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Now, if you'll take and just simply put your tongue and dip it into the cup. That's your first drink. There still should be plenty left. Amen. How many prayed a prayer just now and meant it? Whether you were receiving Jesus or sanctified, let me just see it. Wave at me and wave to the Lord. Lord, we just give you a wave offering. We are yours. Sanctify us. Sanctify us, Holy Spirit, that we might be more like Jesus. Now we're going to put the first of the Hallels. This is the second cup. And we're going to put it up on the screen, and I want to read it along together. It's going to be Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. We're all going to read it out loud together. Are you ready? Here we go. Psalm 113, if you'll put it up on the screen. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. 
He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. No, he settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, O sea, that you fled, O Jordan, that you turned back? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. That's good right there. Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, and we snuck in Psalm 115, verse 1, which we will read again, so I want you to start there in just a few moments. This is a prayer of thanks for God's faithfulness, provision, and protection. So, if you will, I want you to take this wafer, and I want you to break it into two. That's what they did, if you remember, and the, uh, and the Seder, and one piece was set aside while the other was eaten. I want you to take that first broken piece and place it in, in your mouth and eat it. And thank God right now for his faithfulness, for his provision, for his protection, and for his salvation. As he brought the children of Israel out of bondage into the promised land, and they rehearsed it year after year, will you rehearse right now God's faithfulness in your lives? This is your way right now personally to thank him. How has he been faithful to you? Tell him right now. How has he provided for you in your own way? Tell him right now. How has he protected you? Tell him right now. How has he saved you? Tell him right now. Rehearse this right now. Take a few moments and thank God in your own way, a personal prayer to the Lord. God, we thank you. For your faithfulness. We thank you that you're a God who provides. Oh, thank you for your protection over these years. Thank you for saving us today. It's a hallel. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a song. It's a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to your faithfulness and your provision and your protection over our lives. We rejoice in you today. We rejoice in you today as we receive this bread that represents your broken body. We rejoice in your faithfulness. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Would you take this cup now, as they took the second cup after that, and would you dip your tongue in the cup one more time? Now this second, this second dipping at that moment is where, we, where they prayed that their hearts would be guarded against betraying and turning away from Jesus. If you remember, this is where Jesus gave the cup to Judas. And I want us to pray right now, and I want to pray over you a prayer that would be opposite of what Judas did in our lives. Lord God, would you bow your heads? Lord God, I pray that you would guard our hearts in this day, in this age of deception in which we are living. 
where right is being spoken of as wrong and black is being spoken of as white, where up is down and down is up, it's all turned around and your word says that this was going to happen and your word says that even in the last days the very elect might be deceived. Lord, from pulpits all across this nation and the world, the gospel is not being preached. There's a lot of tickling ears going on. There's a lot of fancy words that are being spoken out, but not the word of God. Lord, we pray today that you should guard our hearts against betraying you, Lord God, from turning from you and selling you for 30 pieces of silver, for trading you for the things that this world has to offer. Lord, there's nothing that is more precious than you. We will not betray you. We will not deny you. We will not say, I never knew you. Lord, today, may we cling to you. May we embrace you and not let go. And may we never turn away from serving you, Jesus. May we never turn away to the things of this world and away from you. May we cling to you and embrace you and sit at your feet, Lord God. We don't want to be like Judas. Lord God, we don't want to deny you. We don't want to be greedy. We don't want to do, do foolish things. We don't want to get a big head, Lord God. We don't want to think we can do this without you. We can't. We thank you today for helping us to place our full and complete trust in you every single moment of our lives. <coughs> and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now then, if you'll eat that second <coughs> way for peace right now. Hallelujah. That second piece represents <clears throat> certainly what Jesus has done for us. And then we're going to move into the third cup now, which is the cup of salvation and redemption. Hold this cup in your hand, and we're going to start where we just left off, Psalm 115, verse 1. And I want us to all pray this together. We're going to do Psalm 115, 116, 117, and 118. And that's as far as we're going to go. Here we go. <clears throat> not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? <clears throat> Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. <clears throat> they have mouths but cannot speak eyes but they cannot see they have ears but they cannot hear noses but they cannot smell they have hands but they cannot feel feet but they cannot walk nor can they utter a sound with their throats those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them O house of Israel Trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord make you increase 
both you and your children. Amen. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Now, Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, He saved me. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. <clears throat> and in my dismay I said, all men are liars. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're holding. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Now Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol Him, all you peoples. For great is His love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Hallelujah. Let Israel say His love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say His love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say His love endures forever. In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and He answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes or presidents. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surround me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They swarmed around me like bees, but they died out as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. Hallelujah. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Hallelujah. 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 Keep going. There should be some more verses there. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Keep going. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Two more verses. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Let this ring. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. <clears throat> now that's the third cup, and I want you to dip your tongue in this cup. One more time. And musicians and singers, I want you to come up here. Because we have all of us a song to sing. One more song. And you hold that cup in your hands. And I'm going to have everybody stand here this morning. Because now we're going to sing a song of praise to the Lord for what he has done for us. I am so thankful that we can celebrate this cup here today. I think you know this song. Sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. What precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. The Lord has promised. soon dissolve like snow the sun forbid to shine but God who called me here below will be forever will be will be forever you are forever are forever mine. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy your love, unending love, amazing grace. Let's all take this cup right now.
a cup of praise to the Lord for what he's done for us. And let's receive the entire cup now as we conclude our time of communion together. Thank you, Lord. Can we just sing that chorus one more time as we close out today? My chains are gone. Lift up your hands and praise him. I've been set free. Come on, worship him. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns. His mercy reigns. Oh, yeah, an ending. Amazing grace. Sing it again. say this verse and you finish it for me. He whom the Son has set free is what? He whom the Son has set free is what? He whom the Son has set free is what? How many is free indeed this morning? Let's give God a praise offering, a shout and clap to the Lord.